0: Thank you for visiting Open Life today. We're glad that you took time out of your busy week to join in with our service. If you're listening online or through the Open Life Church app, I need to point out two things for your benefit. The first is that we have our notes conveniently placed for you to follow along with the passages and points mentioned in the talk. The second thing I would like to point out is our connection card. If you fill this out while you're listening, it not only lets us know you visited us today, but also allows you to communicate any prayer requests you may have. We will be sure to take time to pray for them during the course of the week. If you are listening on iTunes, you can always visit us online or download the Open Life Church app to get in contact with us. Wherever or however you are with us today, we are glad that you are here. Now let's join today's talk. It's been a long road. (laughs) Those are all the series graphics that we've done since the beginning of the Luke series of us walking through Luke. And so it's just kind of cool. The title of this series is called The Last Days, um, and actually it's the last weeks uh, because we'll be doing this series for about the next five weeks. And so then we'll finish off with a final culmination of just everything that we've been walking through in the book of Luke. And so hopefully you've been able to make connections to the things that we've been talking about each week hopefully maybe in your own reading times that you've, op- maybe you've opened up Luke and you said, you know, I want to read a little bit in depth, or I want to read over what we talked about on Sunday just a little bit deeper. And you begin to make kind of connections, because there's just key connections throughout Luke that if we were to hit on each week would get redundant, um, but also, I mean, just exhaustive. I mean, you could, there's just commentaries and books that are like, this big, uh, talking about Luke and just all the different um, things that you can learn from there that you read about Jesus, and so hopefully you've um, taken some initiative in that area of your of your life as well. Um, so we're talking about um, last week we talked about Jesus at the temple and he sees the woman and she gives. Two coins and he, and he says one of this, one of jesus 's crazy statements that she gave more than everyone else did out of their riches, and so we just begin to hear um, stuff like that. so the setting for today is they 're in the temple, Jesus in the temple of the disciples, and um, we 're just going to read through some just like this question that arises out of what these disciples are looking at. And so it's important to kind of just understand the main parts, because we're going to a, read a large section of Scripture, and it's like, I wanted to tell you guys, just put the Bible in your mouth, because it's literally a mouthful of what we're going to be reading. And so it's just important that we track along together. And so what Jesus is going to be talking about, the main parts are, he's going to be talking about the destruction of the temple. In around AD 70, so like you know, you have BC and then AD, and it's like all revolves around Jesus. But around AD 70, so after Jesus has died and rose again, many years later, we read that, or we know for a fact that Jerusalem was destroyed. And so what we're reading today is Jesus talking about that specific moment. But he um, also talks about what's going to happen to his followers, the disciples and people that have been following him. And then the next part is gonna be we're gonna be talking about the coming of the Son of Man. So basically Jesus is talking about his second coming. And then the last part, it's how like the disciples should be prayer, should prepare for this, but also how we should prepare. For Jesus' second coming, because it hasn't happened yet. So spoiler alert, newsflash, you know, we're still in this time of waiting, expecting, anticipating the coming of Jesus. So that's where we find ourselves in this story. And so it is a mouthful, and so I'll try and like help, I'll, I'll try and transition each, each part as we read it together. And so we're in Luke 21 5, and we're going to be reading through verse 38. And so here we go. Some of his disciples were remarking about how the temple was adorned with beautiful stones and with gifts dedicated to God. But Jesus says, As for what you see here, the time will come when not one stone will be left on another. Every one of them will be thrown down. So Jesus throws out this statement saying, One day this temple is not going to be here. It's going to be destroyed and it's no longer going to be here. And so the disciples, Teacher, they asked, When will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are about to take place? He replied, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming, I am he, and the time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events, and great signs from heaven." But before all this, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and put you in prison, and you'll be brought before kings and governors, and, and all on account of my name. And so you will bear testimony to me, but make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, and sisters relatives, and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair of your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win life. And so Jesus is basically saying the temple is going to be destroyed. You're going to hear about all these signs. People are going to come and say, I am he. I am the Savior. And Jesus is saying, don't listen to them. Like, don't be fooled by them, but keep your eyes open. And then he goes and talks about the, like, the the situation that the disciples, some of the disciples are going to find themselves in, of being persecuted, being put in prison, some even being put to death. And so Jesus, it's like, like, wow, like, Jesus, you're just unloading on us right here. Like, like, what is going on? And so he keeps going. And so then we're going to read some more. He says, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who, he, those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those in the city get out, and let those in the country not enter the city. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled." And so, like, this is just the ending of Jesus talking about the temple. And so some scholars disagree with on what that passage of Scripture is talking and then what we'll read about next, because some some um, scholars will say, well, that first section that we just read is specifically talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And then what we're going to read after that is Jesus talking about the coming of the Son of Man, which is basically Jesus saying, I'm coming back. Like, like, surprise, like, I'm going to come, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to, like, rule the nations. You know, we read, like, this is a huge thing in Scripture that we read. And so, there is disagreement. Some, some people will interpret this whole scripture that we're reading today as everything that's going to happen. And so, but some people read it as, you know, we're talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, and then we're talking about the coming of the Son of Man. And so that's where we read the Bible, and we, we, we wrestle, and we read this, and we apply it to other pieces of scripture. And then we come up with, not a best guess, but just where we really feel like God is leading us and teaching us out of the scripture and so, as we go into verse 25, you'll notice a change in the language. Jesus was talking about the specific temple. He was talking about a specific time. And then, now as we read, he's going to start using, like, cosmic and, like, bigger words talking about Jesus coming. And so just listen to that and, like, hear for yourself. And so he goes on. There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that the summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with uh, carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on on the watch, and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen, and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Each day Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. And all the people came early in the morning to hear him at the temple. And so, like I said, a big chunk of scripture, some kind of confusing things, some things that we really have to grasp our our head around sometimes and really understand, Jesus, what are you trying to tell us? Basically, what is Luke trying to tell us about this story? And so what we know about Luke, scholars disagree on this too, about when when it was written. But as you read more and more, the predominant view would be that Luke is written after this destruction of Jerusalem. And so when he's telling this story, he's trying to explain to the Gentiles, the people, he's trying to convince that Jesus is real and that all of this story in Luke and then later in Acts, that all of this is a true testament of who Jesus is. And so as we read this, we, we can understand that this is different. But put yourself in the situations of the disciples. You've lived with Jesus. You've seen all of his miracles. You see him die. You, you see his resurrection. And then he leaves you. And then he says, I'm coming back. And so then you begin to think, okay, what else did Jesus say? What else did he talk about? Well, he talked about the destruction of the temple. And so imagine if you were living in this time and you were there in in 70 AD and you saw the destruction of the temple, would you not think that Jesus is coming in that time at that moment? And then when Jesus doesn't come, what's what's your thoughts? Well, I guess Jesus was a liar. I guess Jesus was not right about this. And so Luke, writing this, he's saying, no, 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 you're missing it. Jesus. Talked about the destruction of Jerusalem, but he also talked about his second coming. Don't mix those two things up, because you're going to hear people say, I am he, I am the Savior. People are going to come in the name of Jesus and do things that are fine and well and good, and your people are going to follow them, but they're leading you down a path that is not true, that is not right. P- later in the Bible, th- these people are called Antichrist. Like, they're literally not, the, not Jesus. They're not Christ. They're against everything that Jesus is about. And so we read this, imagine being in that time and being, like, this is confusing. Like, this is, this is weird. And so Luke's trying to encourage us that, that Jesus did, in fact, do all that he said he did, and that he, he prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem, but that he is also coming back. And so we need to stand watch, we need to anticipate his second coming, and be ready for his return. And what I think a lot of times we do in our Christian lives as followers of Jesus, we oftentimes don't give credit to the fact that Jesus is coming back. We, we love to look at Jesus' life. We love to look at the way he loved people and lived his life. And we find our salvation through his resurrection, a death and resurrection. And so obviously we're going to celebrate that. We're going to just be joyful about that. But as Christians, we're left in this time of waiting of, of not certainty, we haven't seen it, and we're in this time of faith and of anticipation for Jesus' second coming. And if that doesn't have an effect on our lives, then we, we're missing out on part of the gospel. It's the, the true fact that Jesus is gonna come back, the true fact that there is life after death, that there is eternal life. And if we don't let those things dictate the way we live, then we're gonna find ourselves missing out on a a key aspect of the gospel of Jesus. And so today the big idea is Jesus is returning. Jesus was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died a brutal death, rose again three days later, ascended into heaven, and then he is returning. The knowledge that Jesus is returning should have an impact on the way that we live our lives. And so if you think about the people that Jesus was speaking to here, after Jesus did die, and after he was resurrected, there was urgency in the way that they lived their lives. They met together and they prayed constantly for the return of Jesus, that they would live their lives according to the fact that Jesus was returning. They had that urgency. They had boldness to to do things that were going to put them into prison, that were going to put them in harm's way, but they still did it. They had faith Even in the roughest times when the situation seemed so bleak, they still had faith. But honestly, there was probably a lot of confusion as well. Jesus, you said you're coming back. We're waiting for you. But we're left here waiting. I hate waiting for stuff. I hate waiting to go on vacation. I hate waiting to do the things that I want to do. I hate waiting for Jesus to come back. As followers of Jesus, we should be excited for Christ's return. Because it is our salvation. It is us being in right, or in just full relationship with him once and for all. Luke 21, 27, he said it himself. Jesus, at that time they'll see the Son of Man coming in the cloud with power and great glory. Acts 1, 10-11 talks about this moment. Jesus is ascended into heaven. So the disciples just saw it, and Acts says, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. In the same way Jesus ascended to heaven, he's going to come down, descend from heaven down to earth. And that's going to be a joyous day. It's something to be excited about. Hebrews nine twenty seven through 28 says, Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And that is us. As followers of Jesus, that's us. We are waiting for him. We are waiting for him, but how do we live our lives in that time of waiting? Part of the reality of following Jesus is that we are in a time of waiting and longing for his return. And so we, just to recap, the the four things that we've talked about is the destruction of the temple, what will happen to the followers of Jesus, the coming of the Son of Man, and then finally, how should we prepare for this? And so thought number one today is following Jesus does not exempt us from suffering. And so Jesus, Jesus talked about the things that would happen to the disciples. He said, they will seize you and persecute you, put you in prison, and all of this on account of my name. Jesus is saying, because of me, because you're following me, bad stuff might happen to you. And I think a lot of times in churches, and even at Open Life sometimes, we paint this rosy picture of just give your life to Jesus and everything is going to be better. Like, everything is just going to be better. And the truth of the matter is, is that's not the case. Everything is better for your soul, but oftentimes our physical and like physical lives are in turmoil over this decision. So we still go through trials. We still go through struggles. That's why a lot of people I know who are Christians are dealing with sickness. A lot of people I know who are following Jesus are having a rough time trying to find a job. A lot of people I know have just really hard relationships with their families. Just because you've chosen to follow Jesus does not mean you're exempt from suffering. You know, it's like when you go, when you have this good-to-go pass on your car or you have an extra carpool person, you drive in the the carpool lane and you think, well, I'm going to get to work so much faster. You're not exempt from traffic just because you're driving in the carpool lane. You're just in a better lane that maybe sometimes is easier. But if you've ever driven those stretches, you know that, the HOV lane gets backed up just as much as the other lanes. And it's like, well, I have a good-to-go pass. Like, you know, I'm good. Like, I should be good. I'm paying for this, you know? But I think we think that sometimes with Jesus. Well, I have the good-to-go pass. Like, I'm good to go to heaven, you know? I'm like, I'm good to go. But that's true. Like, ultimately, you are good to go. That's awesome. I'm really happy that you made that choice. But man... Oftentimes, our lives are not good to go. Sometimes we have to just trust in Jesus to walk us through all of this. But the cool thing is, is that's his promise to us. Like, that's why he says, but a hair on your head will not perish when you're going through these trials. Is that's because we have the hope and the faith and joy of a salvation in Jesus. And we know that this life is not all about having the most money, or having all the perfect things that would just make us so fulfilled and find us so much peace, that is always fleeting, is that we have the hope of Jesus that will never die, that will never give up on us. And so we read verses like James 5, 7 through 8, and he's talking about living life through struggle, and he says, Be patient, then brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop patiently and waiting for the autumn and spring rains? You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And so, if you are going through hard times or trials in your life, how do we have faith in Jesus? How do we trust in Him and have faith just like this says? How do we be patient and stand firm? Because the Lord's coming is near. And it's important to understand that we don't follow Jesus to earn what we can achieve ourselves. All of us could go, we could get a job, we could earn our living. We could earn some sort of comfort, we could earn some sort of peace. We could toil and we could do, if we put ourselves to it, there's anything that we could achieve to reach some amount of peace, comfort, or whatever it is. But those aren't the things that Jesus died for. Jesus died for us to have relationship with him, eternal life with him. So there's this, there's this struggle between the physical and the spiritual, and Jesus is saying sometimes the physical is going to be hard. Sometimes you're going to suffer. But going on to the thought too, when we're dealing with this waiting time, we have to pre- prepare yourself for Christ's return. We have to prepare ourselves. Because although we're struggling physically to prepare ourselves, we have to prepare ourselves spiritually for His return. Luke twenty one twenty eight, from the section we said, it says, When these things begin to take place, stand up, lift your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus is saying, prepare for my return. Because your redemption is coming near. Philippians 2, 12 through 18 puts it this way. Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, listen to this, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even I am being poured out like a drink offering in the sa- on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you, you too should be glad and rejoice with me. This is Paul speaking. He's basically saying, you know what? He's writing a letter to a group of people and he's saying, you know what, you guys? work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And sometimes I think we need to do that. Sometimes there's that moment where we just need to say, you know, Jesus, am I like right with you? Like, like, it's like a, an accounting of our lives to say, Jesus, what do you really want to work on in my life? What do you want to do inside of me? And if we don't have those honest moments with Jesus, where we say, "You know what, Jesus, I screwed up on this," or we we open our, if we don't open ourselves up for Jesus speaking to us, and say, you know what, you know, Jaden, you can really work on this in your life better. You can, I think, you can be a better husband, or I think you can be a better like light for me. If we don't have those honest moments with Jesus, then our relationships when you just get stuck, where we we don't have this like deep, strong, like back and forth with Jesus. And Paul is saying, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And then he goes on, he says, because of this, you'll shine like the stars. And that's really cool, because when we choose to live in this time of waiting, to shine like stars, when we choose to, to, to figure out our salvation with fear and trembling, people are going to begin to notice. Like, you're going to shine like stars in this crooked generation, is what the verse says. says, and it's like, it's so true. And that's where people see, although you are suffering, man, you have a great attitude. You know, I'm, I've seen how this person has, has lived their life through this circumstance. And man, like, I am challenged by that. They have done such a great job. And so if we don't do those things, if we don't have that relationship with Jesus, then we miss the opportunity for people to see it in our lives. Philippians 3, 19 through 21. So just the next chapter of the verse we just, we just read. Paul said, Join together to fo- in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and, how, and now tell you again even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But listen to this. He says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul is saying our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. Like that's our attitude. That's what we have to believe. Is that no longer are we, when you choose to follow Jesus, you're no longer first an American. You're no longer first from Europe or from other place. But once you've chosen to follow Jesus, the first thing that should be in the interpretation of your life is that you are a citizen of heaven. You are a citizen of the kingdom of God. But what are the real ramifications of that? That means that we don't live for ourselves it means we live for the kingdom and it's important to let that really sink in because when you hear i mean it's already getting crazy with all this political stuff it's like really democrat republican a lot of times i don't see the citizenship of heaven falling into either of those camps and if that doesn't bother you if that doesn't like make you wonder what the heck is going on is like then you really need a process. We really need to seek and pray, God, what do you have for me to do with my conscience and how you want me to live my life? Because that's the power of Jesus. That's the power of the gospel is when it's counter-cultural. And so, so many times we've tried to be the culture of the Christian nation, the Christian culture, when Jesus just wants you to live for him as a citizen of the kingdom of God and let him figure it out how the, the lines are drawn. Thought number three is pray with anticipation. That's the final thing, is we need to pray with anticipation. Luke twenty one thirty six from the verse we read, he, Jesus said, be always on the watch and pray that, you be able to, pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. It's like, as we've often read, Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, whoever has eyes to see, they're gonna, he's going to see what I'm doing. That's, those are the things that Jesus said. And so, it's like the same thing for us today. Is that as we are in this time of waiting, we need to pray with anticipation for Christ's return. We need to pray for that time that Jesus is going to come and we're going to start to see things happening in our world. We're going to start to see people maybe claiming that they're the new Savior, that they're the one that we're supposed to follow, but that Jesus said, those are, those are things you have to watch out for. But do we have eyes to see, do we have ears to hear of Jesus' returning? And so my question with this third thought is, are we praying with anticipation? When's the last time in our personal time of prayer our personal time of reflection with Jesus did we say, Jesus, man, I'm really excited for your return. I'll be honest, it's been a while for me. You know, I'm praying for God, please help me, like, move into this new house that I moved into. God, help me, you know, struggle with the stress of, you know, walking, help finding another job. But when was the last time I said, God, I anticipate your return? And that's the challenging stuff that we have to deal with, that we, when we read Luke, we have to understand that we need to anticipate Christ's return, and let that dictate, let that change something in our hearts, let that have changed the way we make decisions in our lives, because that's the power of the gospel, that's the power of Jesus coming, dying, and raising again, and that's the next step of Him returning, is that we anticipate His return. We pray for it. We long for it. You know, Jesus, back in Luke 11, 2-4, He taught us how to pray. And He said this. He said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. And then He says, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Now, you've probably heard it from another gospel, and you, like, the when you recite the Lord's Prayer, but it's still in Luke. But do we ever really mean the part where it says, Jesus, your kingdom come? Like, Jesus, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And so many times we think that means, well, you know, let things, like, work out. Let things become better. Like, on earth right now. But I think the, the global cosmic prayer that we all pray as followers of Jesus needs to be, God, let your kingdom come. Like, bring final rule, final salvation. Let's see it happen. Let's anticipate it. But if we pray that, we also have to pray for our neighbors. We have to pray for our friends and family who don't know Jesus. Because the truth of the matter is, when Jesus comes and when people don't know him, we've read in Luke over and over how Jesus looks at that. I never knew them. And so it puts us in this situation. If we're gonna pray for the kingdom to come, then we need to be the kingdom now for people. And that's what changes our lives. Worship team, you can come and play. But First Thessalonians talks about prayer in 5, 16 through 18. Paul says rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Pray continually. I'm challenged when I read this to think, God, am I praying for your second coming enough? And don't get me wrong, I'm not one of those people that's saying, well, there was an earthquake the other day, that means Jesus is coming tomorrow. You know, I'm not this like doomsday, like, you know, let's prepare. You know, I read that article about how everything west of I 5 is going away, you know, after the big one. And so it's like, yeah, I can be scared about that. But just like Jesus said, I'm, I'm going to choose to worry or choose not to worry beforehand when struggles in my life arise up. And that's, that's what we're called to do as believers in, in the power of Jesus is to trust in God. Like, trust that He has it. God, Your kingdom come. You know what's going to happen. Your will be done. And so sometimes when we say that, though, we don't take a step of action. We don't say, God, Your kingdom come, but I'm just going to go do it this way. But God, Your kingdom come. And let me be a citizen of your kingdom. Let me walk out and be a true citizen, a true follower of you. And let me have that truth and that power in my life. And when we choose to let that happen, that's when the gospel takes root in our hearts. That's when we're not scared when all earthquakes or wars and stuff is going on. We don't worry. Yeah, we may wonder, God, when are you coming? No one knows the day or the hour, the time, the place. But we know that when it comes, it's going to be a glorious moment for all that choose to follow Jesus. And so our job from now until that point is to get as many people possible on the team to just say, man, how can I love you more? How can I be there for you more so that when Christ comes or when you meet your end, as we all will, how can I convince you to love Jesus? And that's, you know, that's like my heart's desire. That's not my job is to to convince people, but it's my job to really love people. But it's sometimes we have to give Jesus a chance to work in other people's lives. But sometimes that's us that has to give people the chance. And so let the kingdom of God dictate the way that you live. Let the second coming of Jesus, let the imminent coming of Jesus, the anticipation in our hearts for his return dictate and change the way that we make decisions so practically. Jesus has the power to change every decision that you make if you choose to let him have first say, if you choose to let him have first dibs on all that you're going to give to him. So today the, the things that, the action steps, the first is acknowledge Christ's return. Acknowledge that it's a fact Maybe you just never made the conscious choice. You've always known that Jesus was gonna return, but you've never really like prayed for it or acknowledged it or said, yeah, like I want to anticipate this. The second thing is to be ready. And so for some today, that might mean choosing to follow Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, I invite you, join the team. You know, it, all it is is a prayer that says, God, I choose to follow you. I choose to let you be the dictator of my life. Yeah, dictator. We always think it's a bad thing, but when it's Jesus, it's awesome. And then finally, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, pray with anticipation. And I don't know what that means for you this week. Maybe that means in just your times of prayer to say, man, God, what will it be like when you return? And let him speak to you pick up his word, read the other scriptures that talk about Jesus' second coming and start to be challenged and start to be just, let your imagination run a little wild. Personally, maybe don't tell people, well, God told me this and this is gonna be crazy, you know? Like, let's apply it to our scripture. But sometimes we don't give it a second thought. Yeah, you're coming back just like you died. That was 2,000 years ago. You're probably coming back in 2,000 years. If you live like that, then you're missing out all of us are called to pray anticipate and long for the second coming of Jesus and so it's challenging it's hard and it's hard to process it sometimes so let's pray today there God I thank you that first you came and died You first you lived a perfect life God and I thank you for that example and just being able to see how you loved people God I thank you for your death and resurrection God that is my salvation and so I'm very grateful for that But God, more importantly, I'm thankful for your second coming. I thank you that there is eternal life with you because as a follower of Jesus, I've chosen to follow you. So God, today, if there's anyone here who has never chosen that step, God, I just want to pray this prayer with them. God, I want you to be first in my life. I want to follow you wholeheartedly. And I want to know what it is to be in relationship with you. God, I pray that with them. God, I pray for those who are here who've never once said, God, I anticipate your second coming. I pray that you would challenge their hearts and minds to see how that idea and how that mindset can change the way they live now, today, even just when they go home after this service, God. And Lord, I pray for your second coming. God, I anticipate it. I'm challenged by it, God, as a challenge to get more people on the team. God, we just long and yearn for it, God, for it is our salvation, and we're so grateful for it. And I imagine just life with you is going to be awesome, and really more than anything I could spend my whole life dreaming about. And so I thank you for that. In your name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have questions about anything you heard during this talk or have a prayer request, you can fill out the connection card on our app or online at openlife.church. If you'd like to join the mission of Open Life with a financial gift, you can do this quickly and securely through the app by pressing the Give button at the bottom or on our website by clicking on the Giving tab. Open Life wouldn't exist without the consistent and generous giving of people like you. Finally, it's great that you had the chance to listen on the app, online, or through our podcast. But have you ever thought about joining us for a service? We meet every Sunday at Bonnie Lake High School at 10 a.m. This way you can put a face to the voice you've been hearing through your ears. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a great rest of your week.